Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, a venture partner at Griffin Gaming Partners, one of the leading gaming-focused VC firms, and content acquisition lead at Andreessen-backed Carry First, the leading African mobile games publisher. Today, I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Joe Sheppy, co-founder and CEO at Solston. Solston is an innovative company using AI and player behavior to drive insights in the gaming industry. What's going on, Joe? Just another another day. So <laughs> get things going. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. So for those folks out there who don't know you and you are less familiar with your background, do you mind just walking us through your background specifically before founding Solston? Sure. So my whole career has been about asking a certain question, which is how do we make this earth a little bit of a better place for everybody to live? And when you're young, the answer is, well, maybe I go to med school, maybe mm -hmm. I become a psychologist, maybe I help with mental health. I volunteered in hospitals in Minneapolis growing mm -hmm. up and, and ERs and things like that. And I realized a lot of the cases that people entering the ERs were mental health related. And mm -hmm. a lot of those don't go diagnosed. People don't typically get the help that they need and said, well, maybe I'll become a psychologist. And the reality of that is, okay, well, I'm seeing maybe eight patients a day. How many people can I actually help? And since I was pretty young, my dad, he had a, a marketing agency. So I'd always been doing design and graphic design and said, well, what if we could architect systems? What if we could build experiences that were actually 1% better for people. Mm -hmm. Kind of like if you grew up in maybe a, you know inner city school in Camden, New Jersey versus going to a, a forest school in Sweden, each of those kids might have a little bit of a different chance of reaching their potential. Mm -hmm. And so, well, how do we architect systems like that? So I, I actually, I went into UX and human factors and realized I was a UX director at a couple big agencies, one of them being McCann. So I built these experiences for like Verizon and Intel and a lot of big companies. And I was constantly asking you, know, who are we building this for? Who is the user? How do we create a great experience for them? And how do we know that when we build these experiences that they're actually going to be better for that person? And there's not, no one can really answer that. Mm -hmm. So I, I really dove into audience intelligence, research, understanding the customer. And through that journey, one of the things I think every good researcher knows is if you build rapport with people and you do it well, they open up to you mm -hmm. and which is great, but then all of a sudden you learn things. And some of the things I learned from people went back to a lot of their mental health issues and their struggles. So that 360, I said, I don't think I feel comfortable building these experiences for people without actually having a clinical background. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school, became a psychologist, focused in adventure therapy because play is a big part of my life. And mm -hmm. I think play is foundational to who we are as human beings. There's a saying that I love. It's um, show me how you play and I'll tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. And that sort of sets up the basis of Solston. So saw a lot of what was going on there and decided to go into gaming because of the reality is if you look at all of the behavior that happens on the internet, most of it's very poor signal for mm -hmm. who you are as a human being, whether you're on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's just not really representative of, of who you are. It's more representative of where your attention mm -hmm. is going, where play on the other hand is, is quite representative of, of who we are. It's who we choose to be when no one's looking. Mm -hmm. It's when our 
all of our masks go away. And, you know, why is that 50 year old dude, uh, you know, a young female orc character in the game? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's who he chose to be, chose to be when no one was looking. Mm-hmm. So became the, the head of UX at Big Fish Games, really started focusing on how do we build experiences around the, the height of what it means to be human. And I think the intersection of, of gaming and play and being human and the future of all the experiences that we build out there, there's a cross section there. And I have a pretty optimistic view of what we can do digitally because of now transitioning to Solston, which was all the things I didn't have as a, as a head of UX at Big Fish Games, whether it was mm-hmm. on the consumer insight, research side, design side of things, how do we understand our audience fundamentally and how do we know that we're actually building an experience for them that's both engaging and and healthy so that's kind of full circle how started my career and then got into where we're at now awesome and what does solston actually do i know you have a few different major products or features that you offer to your customers um so could you just provide some background on what does solston do what are your major features yeah, so at the, at the foundation of Solson, what we really are is a human insights engine. Mm-hmm. And I think there's three components there. There's the human part, and that's something that Solston does, uh, as far as I've looked and seen, better than any company in the world, gaming or non-gaming. Mm-hmm. We have a proprietary psychological assessment. So it's kind of like a survey, but more like if you're from the US, like an SAT or ACT, where it's, like, it's dynamic, it's using AI to dynamically understand you. Mm-hmm. as you take questions. That thing is is incredible. I started developing the very first part of it when I was at the University of Wisconsin. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but now we have people way smarter than me. We have a whole team of psychometricians who basically make this thing better and better and better. So the human part is you know understanding accurately and with precision the human being. The insight part is, well, from that understanding, do we actually know what what we can do as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so your your audience is altruistic. Well, what does that mean? Okay, they like to help other people. So what? Well, what kind of mechanics should we do? What kind of creatives should we build? And then the engine part is the living breathing aspect of it. Solston is not it's not platform. It's not like a, a report. It's something that's you know as living and breathing as you want it to be. So customers can hook up data. Um, we're constantly learning about people. So it's it's a living, breathing pulse of your audience, of, of, of your market, or of what you're doing in your game. And it's a feedback loop. So yeah, we're, we're a human insight engine. And the result of that, what Solson really is here for, is helping any company really meet their customer, not just where they're at, which I think is important, mm-hmm. but where they're going. And how do you actually get players to opt into answering questions to sort of like build this information set available to Solston. So, so back to my like McCann days, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you ask somebody who's a Verizon customer, Hey, will you take this five minute questionnaire? (laughs) The answer is nope. Right. It's just, you know, no time for it. Mm -hmm. So I, my, my whole background, I spent a lot of time in the in the outdoor retail industry, action sport industry, and sort of started ex- experimenting across a lot of different industries. Where are people willing to spend a little bit more time to, to take questions? Mm-hmm. And what I found was that the more engaged a person is with a product, the more they care about the product, the more mm-hmm. they're willing to take 
a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. So, so, and those two industries tended to be one of the first projects I did was actually in the ski industry Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sent an email out, Hey, we really care about your experience. Could you take a 10 minute questionnaire, which Mm -hmm. was a psychological evaluation to help us improve your experience? We did that. It was actually, it was for a ski shop. They improved their skis sales in, in the Alpine sector by like 270% mm-hmm. the next year, just from seeing the different groups of people. Problem with, with that world is it's not a hooked up digital world of really rich behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, gaming is another one of those areas. So you, know, you take, for example, you know, an adult 40 year old male who is like, I don't take questionnaires. I don't do online <laughs> surveys, but, but they're. They're really into, I don't know, Candy Crush. Sure. And he said, you know, then they're like, I'm, you know, hundreds of levels in. Yeah. I, I play this all the time. And hey, would you take this 10 minute questionnaire? They take the 10 minute mm-hmm. questionnaire. So we sometimes we leave it up to companies whether they want to have the questionnaire rewarded or not. Mm-hmm. We really don't see a difference. Mm-hmm. So we send this question out out through uh, interstitial in the game, just a pop up. Players click on it. They take it. It's all anonymous. We don't collect any personal information, which is really nice. And then on the on the back end, what Solston does, that's kind of just like our, our strep test. It's like a little biological sample. Within an ecosystem or a game, what our AI does then is as people are playing the game who didn't take the questionnaire, it's anonymously kind of like a, a real Harry Potter sorting hat. Mm. It's anonymously going, oh, cool. These people are courageous. It looks like there's a group of courageous people here. Mm-hmm. You can go with them. And then we let the companies label them. So you don't have to call them Hufflepuff or <laughs> Gryffindor. You can call them whatever you want. But it, it, it generatively does that based off your audience. Mm-hmm. So it's figuring that out. And that's where having that sort of small, small but highly accurate sample allows us to do this incredibly well in our our AI has been learning this for about five years now mm. across uh, a lot of the biggest games in the industry. And just taking that courageous example, right? Like from player behavior, if it's someone who decides not to opt in, how could you possibly make that sort of determination? Yeah. So it's it's a lot of telemetry, a lot of mm-hmm. ML. I mean, one of the things that I think has been really helpful for Solston actually is chat GPT mm-hmm. because people start to understand how big language learning models yeah. are, uh, work. And, and there's lots of types of AI. I think that's the that's the one part that I think people now think all AI yeah. is tricky, but we're very different. And yeah. we have like a lot of different areas where that happens. So it happens through telemetry. And you can, you can talk to most game developers and say, hey, have you ever looked at all of the player behavior in your game and just segmented that out, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of looked at, ooh, here's a bunch of people collecting stuff. Like that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Here's a bunch of people that are, you know, I don't know, they're killers. They're, they mm-hmm. do PVP all the time. Like, so you can sort of see those amorphous groups. Well, that's at a high level how you might want to think uh, about it. And maybe people who collect, there's certain psychological yeah. traits that correlate there maybe you know they're a little bit more anxious maybe they have you know certain traits mm-hmm. in that experience that crossover well what we do is every game we work with it's kind of like Carl Linnaeus for the digital world we created this massive taxonomy so if it's winning jumping swimming running we take that data in and we label it mm-hmm. and that's part of how we're able to learn across the whole industry let's say your base got destroyed and you rebuild your base within mm-hmm. I don't know, 
30 seconds in a certain game. And we see that's a predictor of psychological resilience. Mm -hmm. And we know that people that are really high in psychological resilience also are motivated by fearlessness. So it's basically the same way an ACT works in terms of mm -hmm. when you take the or the SAT, you go, oh, this person's really good at answering physics questions. We're going to give them the hardest physics question. Mm -hmm. Did they pass it? Yes, no. Okay, yes. Okay, on to the next subject. In the same way, we're taking all these behaviors across different games within different games. Every game is basically its own experimental laboratory in a way. Mm -hmm. It has confounding factors that might produce air around certain measurements. The bigger the game, the more confounding factors. Like why did that person do PVP all the time? Was it because of status or it was because they just like dominating? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really, the bigger the game, the harder, the harder that can be with confounding factors. The smaller the game, you reduce confounding factors, but maybe you can't measure as many traits. So we basically use in the same way ChatGPT said, well, we're going to look all over the internet, scrape all this data and have this large language model. We're saying, well, we're building the cognitive layer of the internet through indexing all this behavior and gaming just has a much richer layer mm -hmm. of behavior than anything else. And so that's how we do this trait prediction. And then we're doing that within certain levels of reliability and validity. So maybe in one game, when you rebuild your base for you, for that user ID, we're like, yep, we're 67% sure that's mm -hmm. predictive of resilience. But for another game, it's 98% sure it's predictive of resilience. And how we cover for that is by doing, when we do the psychological questionnaire, that way we can see other players who behaved in a similar way. Mm -hmm. Does that does that actually cross over and correlate? Well, that's called construct validity. You basically establish a certain type of validity first. And we're able to then say, yeah, that looks like it's due to error or not. And then... Over the past five years, that's what's been learning and learning and yeah. learning. And it's always like all these big ML models, their success is overnight. So they they go and they go and they go. And all of a sudden, thing, really cool stuff starts happening. So mm -hmm. hopefully that wasn't too <laughs> it's a complicated of an explanation. But in general, that's, that's what's going on. No, that was actually really helpful. And I think what it provides is sort of a view just as far as how deep you can go in understanding player behavior, right? And so, you know, there have been certain gaming companies that in the last, you know, call it past several years have really tried to understand behavior of their players better and use this to target certain groups of players, you know, for example, showing a certain type of ad to this type of player at this time based on this action or based on past spend activity, whatever. And some of these companies, you know, seem to be or claim to be quite advanced already, right? And so mm. what does Solstice add or what's the sort of like incremental benefits to a company that already has pretty deep insights versus when they partner with Solstice? Yeah, this is, you know, this is something where we kind of, we, I th I'd say we, when we first started as a, as a startup, we struggled a bit here the first mm -hmm. year or two, because, you know, you go to a company like EA or, mm -hmm. or Activision and, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, we have the best insight team. We have the best player research team. You know, mm -hmm. we do this, we do that. We, we have psychologists and you want to be as humble as possible mm -hmm. and you want to create allies in, in this space. And there's a, there's a few distinct realities that are really, really, really hard to break through. So if you go to the world of clinical psychology today, mm -hmm. a lot like you show up to the doctor, you say, I, I think I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's figure it out. 
that's part of what I used to do is neuroassessment. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take anywhere from two hours to seven hours of these questionnaires at best, at best, they're like 85% accurate. Mm-hmm. This is nineties, you know, and 85% is better than a flip of a coin. Yeah. But like, am I going to, do I, did I feel comfortable giving somebody a lifelong diagnosis right. and possibly putting them on med, on medication mm-hmm. um, when there's 15% Mm-hmm. chance that or more due to air. So a big part of Solston was going and saying, that's not right. Let's make that fundamental science better. Mm-hmm. So when you look at people who in the typically like companies that have done research on players, a lot of it's through like surveys mm-hmm. um, a lot of times. And that's part of our education leap is kind of educating on what is a survey versus a questionnaire versus mm-hmm. an assessment and really distinguishing, well, if I'm, you know, asking you, how happy are you when you play the game? And, you know, what are the things that you like to buy in the game? Like those are survey questions mm-hmm. they can be really useful and helpful. When we do assessment, we're, we're assessing specific enduring things. So whether it's your math ability or whether it's your personality or your motivations, the way our engine does assessment is so accurate. And I can even tell you from our own data, it's just gotten more and more accurate over the last five years. And our ability to predict things from players is a lot of that's dependent on the accuracy of your your assessments. Mm -hmm. So there's only two adaptive assessment engines out there right now. One is at the Mayo Clinic. That's This is for assessing personality specifically. Mm -hmm. One's used by the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and the other ones ours. Mm-hmm. So because we we use an adaptive assessment, we're able to much more accurately measure traits. And I'll give you an example. We worked with a game company who said, we do a lot of this insight work and we have this group um, of completionists. And, and we have this sh- problem here where they're completing things in one game and they mm-hmm. had on, on the back end, they were using like lean plum. So they could see that it was the same users in the mm-hmm. other game. And they said that, but they're not completing things in the other game. Mm-hmm. And the mistake is behavioral labels. So like completionism is a behavior. Mm-hmm. It's something you do as a result of, of who you are. And so I said, well, let's just psychologically assess the, the audience. What we saw that is that they had really high levels of status orientation. Mm-hmm. And in the one game where they were completing a lot of stuff, they, they had leaderboards, they had like kind of trophies they could get that they could show other people. And in the game where they were completing not much at all, there was none of the status-based stuff. And I said, well, let's get more status-based stuff. And mm-hmm. there they did it and they're like, oh, they're completionists again. It's like, no, 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 they're not, they're not completionists. <laughs> right. It's the same thing like, like curiosity. Like people go, these players are explorers. And that's a lot of the, um, you know, robust insight teams are, are all behavior-based. Like they're explorers. So you go, mm-hmm. okay. So exploration is, is kind of a, a construct of curiosity. And you go, okay, well, if human beings were purely curious, we'd all be dead because we'd run off a cliff. Right. We would, you know, we have all these, these traits that, that regulate our curiosity, mm-hmm. but we're all differently curious. Like I really like the color blue. It's a great color. So if something's blue, I might be more inclined to look at it yeah. or pursue it than, for example, the color green. Well, mm-hmm. I like the color green too. Just not as <laughs> blue. So like break it, making it simple though, you know, people are differently curious. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the the insights that are out there, whether it was like people that worked with Bartle types or behavior-based personas mm-hmm. um, or behavior-based clustering or outcome-based thinking around around behavior that's really like a i think an old way of thinking in terms of the scientific world so where solston kind of has to have humility and come in is say one we have a, a much 
more robust way of measuring not human behavior, but human psychology mm -hmm. and deducing which psychology is the predecessor of behavior. You're, you know, you can have two people in the same exact environment. Why did they behave differently? Mm -hmm. You know, why, why did the one rise to the occasion? Why did the one not get angry? Why did the one become helpful? It's, it's the underlying psychology of the, of the person. So we're measuring that and that's what compels behavior. And that's part of why we get the results we do. And then the second part of it is even if you had a, a 80 person team, like we do, that's dedicated to this stuff. That's mm -hmm. some of the you know experts around the world, like the person that founded the team at unity that was supposed to adapt stuff to people like He's at Solston, the, the mm. top researcher in the world when it comes to human psychology and health, like she's at Solston, like all these people that have dedicated their life to this, we're all at Solston doing mm -hmm. this. So even if you replicated that team and said, you know, we're Google, we're going to, we're going to buy that team and we're going to yeah. put it in place. Well, you're, if you think of experimental laboratories, imagine if you said, Hey, chat GPT, you can only, you can all, all your engineers, you get all your people but you can only learn off of news websites. That's mm -hmm. it. No research articles, just news websites. That's kind of like how it would be because you'd be only learning off of, let's say you're Activision, only learning off of Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of robust data in there, but you're missing out on a lot of other rich, deep experiences. So because we're able to use the telemetry across the entire industry and be able to learn from this sort of data, that puts us in a pretty different different league where we can say, you know, someone might say, hey, in our game, we identified these behaviors and they seem to be indicative of these sort of psychological uh, facets. We can come in and say, actually, those are due to error and here's why. And we actually have had that with some of the, the larger game companies out mm -hmm. there who are more collaborative with us. It's really cool to see because they'll say, hey, here's what we found. And then we'll say, okay, here's what's here's what's here. And because of the telemetry, because of the accuracy of our assessment. And that's a reason why the the woman, for example, who used to be the the VP of consumer insights and strategy for Activision. So speaking of one of the top mm -hmm. companies who do this kind of work, you know, she she became someone who initially used our product and was like, this literally would have replaced like everything we were doing mm -hmm. um, for for Call of Duty. Now Lisa is actually our, our VP of experience. So, you know, you see some of the top people like Matt Streit, who he was a consumer insight uh, director at Scopely. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you think of Scopely as a data-driven, data-rich company. Well, Matt's our director of product now. We've basically had that kind of experience over and over again, where there's the initial skepticism because these people have PhDs in psychology mm -hmm. and things too, and they're, br they're brilliant and people that I really look up to. And then they're like, wait a second, this is taking what we did to a whole other level. Um, mm -hmm. Like Lisa asked Matt, we were sitting down and talking and she's like, Matt, could you go, now that you've seen Solston, could you go back and do things the way we did? And Matt goes, if I wanted to be miserable, yes. <laughs> so, so I think the way I see it is like what we're doing, it's not about Solston, it's an industry effort. And mm -hmm. it's about the, the experiential expectations of players keep getting higher and higher mm -hmm. because of how successful we are as an industry. Mm -hmm. Like we've basically built so many great experiences that now everyone's like, okay, it's the eighties and you ate at McDonald's a bunch <laughs> and that was fine in the eighties. But now they're like, they've had Michelin star restaurants. Great. They've gone to James Beard award-winning restaurants. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not good with McDonald's every day. Or, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I want more, I want more than that.
And we've done the same thing. And so now, you know, in terms of understanding if you're if you're the best tailor in the world, if you're the best artist in the world, you have such an advantage if you can sit down and have three dinner conversations and just deeply get to understand who you're delivering your work for. Mm-hmm. Was as developers, as creators, we don't have the luxury of taking our whole audience and sitting down with, with dinner. And a lot of times, one of the challenges, the audience we get to hear from when we look at Reddit or App Store reviews yeah. or it's not representative right. of the the base. So mm-hmm. Solston helps with with that. So from a business standpoint, as far as understanding your players and, you know, frankly, probably being able to better monetize your players, it makes a lot of sense. But I know for you personally, you know, a mission of yours is to make the experiences actually better for gamers, right? So from the perspective of a gamer yeah. and a player, what are the benefits to the players? Absolutely. And that's, you know, the... Um... There's, there's the reality of, of business and mm-hmm. what Solston is. And there's a two-step thing here. One, engagement is not bad. Engagement mm-hmm. is not a dirty word. <laughs> I want to just like, you know, that's important because mm-hmm. a lot of even game developers are like, uh, we love making games, but we got to do this because if we don't make money, then we don't make games. Yeah. Well, the way to put it like this is like back when I was a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and I do couples therapy. I'd ask couples like, you know, do you want a relationship that like, wow, that's a really healthy relationship, totally not engaging. You know, (laughs) it's like you want engaging relationships. They're important. So you want, you want engaging relationships with all the aspects of your reality. What you don't want is addictive relationships Mm -hmm. and, and an addiction is anything that basically inhibits you from functioning well within your reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So whatever you're trying, if you're trying to pursue your job, your relationships, your future. If a thing inhibits that, which games can, games can become addicting. That's that threshold when it crosses. So one of the interesting things about Solston is as a part of measuring all the things that we measure, we measure things like addiction. We measure things like toxic behavior. We measure things like, and toxic behavior, are you typically what that actually means psychologically? Because a lot of people throw around the world toxicity. Yeah. It means verbal, verbally abusive behavior. So saying things that are beyond not nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we we track all these kind of things and we actually track biopsychosocial health of mm-hmm. each player. So what that means is when we t- when we're talking about biology, is the game impacting your sleep? We know that sleep is uh, you know after between the pandemic and post pandemic, I think many of us know that sleep is your number, like do that well, and you're going <laughs> to, you're going to live a better life. So yeah. optimize your sleep. We see certain games that actually people with certain personality types get better sleep playing that specific game. Mm-hmm. While other people with different personality types get worse sleep mm-hmm. playing that specific game. So games are a lot more like food than, you know, okay, Hey, strawberries, they're superfood for, you know, you, Chris, mm-hmm. but maybe for another person, they're allergic to them. It's like mm-hmm. strawberries are not all good or bad. Games are not all good or bad. It's about finding yours. And so on the engagement side of things, what we help the kind of the harmony between games and players. And this is something that we found over the last five years that's really powerful and super cool, mm-hmm. which is that the healthier a game is for a person biologically, psychologically, and socially. So psychologically meaning, is it causing depression or anxiety? Mm-hmm. And it, is, it, is it increasing things like emotional resilience, hardiness, mm-hmm. like good psychological facets? 
and on the social side, are you getting more social benefit or is it taking away from you socially? So we compute the score and we call it our player centeredness score. Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of engagement and health. So it's looking at how engaged is this, is this player in your specific experience, mm -hmm. as well as how healthy is this experience for that player. And what's really, really cool is whether you're voodoo and a hyper casual game or whether you're CCP and EVE Online. Mm -hmm. And these are both customers of ours. So like basically opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. This score is indicative of that, of that player's LTV over time. So their lifetime value is connected to that. And it, it intuitively makes sense. It's like, oh, of course, if an experience is healthier for someone, they're going to stay in it longer mm -hmm. and use it more. So when when games tip over into the realm of addiction, mm -hmm. that's actually one of the biggest predictors of churn. Mm -hmm. So what you, what you see a lot of times in free-to-play games is when they get addictive, players, they basically start playing more and more and more. They spend mm -hmm. more and more and more and then poof, they're gone. Game of War is a mobile case study of addiction. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, and I used to work with a guy named Rich Waters who was mm -hmm. amazing game designer, but he was on that team, you know, and, and we're, you know, good friends with a lot of people who, who were a part of, uh, you know, some of those games, yeah. but, and they actually get, they, when some of them work with Solston now, because they, they learned that through mm -hmm. that. And we also, like, I mean, we work with companies like Supercell, for example, which is almost the opposite end of the spectrum where Clash of Clans, I think just celebrated its 10th year anniversary mm -hmm. and it, you know, still making, I think close to a billion yeah, a year. That's what, that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Like that's cause that's a sustainable business. When I used to work at Big Fish Games, you know, we'd have some of our investors come in and say, how do you guys run this company? And we're like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Like every single one of your games has a different LTV curve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So benefit, you know, really the benefit to the player is you're going to get, think of it as like going home or the first time you met a really, like when you met someone, you're like, we're going to be friends. Mm -hmm. What we're enabling developers to do is actually get to know your experiential needs mm -hmm. not your experiential wants but your experiential needs so what that means is what is actually going to be an optimal experience for you and one of our focuses is building regenerative technology mm -hmm. so what we mean by regenerative is when i use this piece of technology do i walk away from it with more than i went into it when i use tiktok for example or instagram a lot of passive technology i don't leave that going yeah, I'm. That was great. great. I feel awesome. You know, you're like, oh, I just zoned out. Um, there's like, I'm just playing. You know, I'm, I'm playing the new the new Zelda Tears yeah. of the Kingdom. Yeah. Like, I'll I'll put that down. I'll be like, that was sweet. Yeah. yeah that was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. That's that's an example of regenerative technology. Mm -hmm. And how are we making sure that that's there for each and every player? And that's us being able to learn about a player and an audience anonymously. It, it'll, it enables all the people creating stuff for you to not create stuff based on the loudest app store reviews mm -hmm. or, you know, the surveys that only people, that's only the people that took the survey took. Mm -hmm. You're able to represent the audience and we're able to understand what features, hey, you implemented these new features and you realize they're actually really addictive mm -hmm. for your audience and they're going to cause churn in 30 days from now. So enabling creators to build healthier experiences. And then on the player end, what's I think beautiful about it is you're always anonymous. I'm half Swiss and mm -hmm. we believe that privacy is power. Not, I'm not, we don't come from the world of share everything. And mm -hmm. we believe that, 
you know, how data works in, and a lot of the technology today is not really ethical. Your privacy is paramount, but at the same time, in order for people to create experiences that are good for you, we have to capture something about you. So we don't need to know how old you are, where mm -hmm. you live, your IP, none of that. That's not that's not who you are. Your demographics change. You live in a new city, you get older, mm -hmm. these things change. But who you are, you know, your personality, that tells us a lot about what, what you need. So that's what we're able to focus on and then combine that with these social health metrics. And it creates this beautiful harmony where game developers actually get to know and realize that, hey, did you see like through our our game, our players, like some of their um, anxiety levels went down like 4% mm -hmm. with that new feature. It's like, yeah, that's that's badass. And you know what? They're spending more too. That's badass. Like, I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, like if, if I have a great dinner somewhere and the waiter's amazing and we spent a long time there, I'm way more inclined to drop a bigger tip. Absolutely. Um, I'm way more inclined to go back there again. It's mm -hmm. the same, same thing. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. So one of them, right, is just certain genres of games and certain types of games encourage this sort of like addictive behavior, right? And so you see, yeah. you know, certain, not to use any specific examples, right? But there, there are some games where like the average revenue per user is like absurd and you go to the app store reviews and people are like, I love this game, but I spent, you know, I, I mortgaged my house to, to, to advance in the game, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's sort of the education process like when you're talking to one of these studios already very successful, the metrics look good, but their yeah. players are, you know, by their own admission, spending more than they actually want to. What's the education process to be like, look, you, you know, maybe you can do X, Y, Z so that your players like feel better and ultimately it will work out for your business in the long term. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we kind of, we have an internal ranking system at Solston of mm -hmm. essentially the maturity of a gaming company. And that's, that's tied to like how many UX designers they have, how mm -hmm. many player researchers they have, you, how many data scientists they have. Mm -hmm. And typically companies that are really early on in their journey and strike gold. Mm -hmm. So they create an experience exactly as you described. Mm -hmm. We don't really engage with them. And the reason for that is humans, unfortunately, have a proclivity to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. And so what, what really happens is a lot of times those studios, they're like, don't touch it. It's not broken. Yeah. And, and I think it's so hard to be successful in life. Mm -hmm. And then you add like gaming and the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. So when you have that sort of experience, we tend to say, Hey, you know, if they want to work with us, great. Cause if yeah. they already, a lot of times the earlier ones, if they've worked at a bigger company before, if they've worked at an Activision or EA, mm -hmm. then we don't have to talk through this. But so, so going over to bigger companies that have this, they fully understand. And this is an evolution of, of the game industry in general. Back in the day when we were kids, like you used to ship a product. Mm -hmm. So it's like you made a game, you shipped it, and then you saw how it performed. It was like yeah. a movie title mm -hmm. where game games as live services completely changed yeah. that. And back to my like my example with Game of War, mm -hmm. like uh, Vulcan was um, one of the people on the data science uh, or running the data science team or Mm -hmm. data, anal data analytics team there. And he's, if you want to talk to someone who understands this more deeply, then 
a lot of people, mm-hmm. it's him because he's lived it. Yeah. And br- brilliant guy. We love working with him. And if you you go to and you look at this sort of this sort of data, what's going to happen is you're going to churn through players. Mm-hmm. You're factually going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what I ask people is, do you want to run a rug pull? Do you want to run an <laughs> NFT scheme? Do you want to run a you know get rich quick and run? Or do you want to build a sustainable business? And one of the problems in our gaming industry is we have brilliant creatives. We're lacking in terms of business sense sometimes. And what you really want to do is you want to build a business. You Mm -hmm. want to build something that you can stand on top of and go, you know what? Next year and the year after that and the year after that, I feel strongly about on the revenue that we're generating from game X. And if that's what you want to do, then you want to talk to Solston. We don't, we're not interested in helping you build a game that makes $200 million one year. And mm-hmm. then the next year it's just crashing down. I mean, that was the thing with, I know we're, we're, we're using game of war as an example here, mm-hmm. but that's literally what happened with the Super Bowl ads. Um, I think Gabe said it on like a podcast at mm-hmm. some point where he was like, we literally could not acquire more players through Facebook because we had literally churned through all of them. And so we had to, we had to go outside of that and we ran a Super Bowl ad mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. And what, you know, I think if, if you're into get rich quick schemes, <laughs> that's, that can be, that can be a thing, but I think most investors have caught on to that now. They're, they're more interested in, Hey, can you, can you create something that's actually going to last mm-hmm. and actually going to build revenue and the unpredictability of revenue in the gaming industry where it's like, Oh man, we got to acquire a new game. If we're a big studio, we got to acquire another new game. Mm-hmm. Well, what they would really love to be able to do is build these sustainable experiences and build out a, an org and, a, and a, a company that's based on stable revenue or stable revenue that's you know nicely increasing over time. Like mm-hmm. everybody wants to look like Apple on the back end. You know, right. it's like if you look at just here's one of our products. It's it's the you know AirPods. And if you look at AirPod revenue, a lot of people are like, wait, what? It's insane. <laughs> you know, and you say each each product vertical is a game. Mm-hmm. And we want to see that move over the next 10 years. Eve Online, 20-year-old game. That's that's a beautiful business to stand on top of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think for us it's it's a lot of qualifying. We don't work with everybody. If we talk to a company and they're really just like, how do we get players super addicted? Mm-hmm. That's not what, that's not our mission. So yeah, our, yeah. we already have a different value alignment. And I think the cool thing is, is most, at least all the top gaming companies who've lived through this in the yeah. 2015 to 2020 era, they all have seen what that, how that ends. Mm-hmm. And they go, that ends in a bigger mess. It ends in layoffs. It ends in hiring a bunch of people and then firing people. Mm-hmm. It ends in not something that you really want to do. So I think there's a bit of a reset going on where philosophically going from the world of we ship games, we ship products to no, we run live services. We mm-hmm. run a living, breathing thing. And we we run a community. And, and that community is what we want to understand and grow. Just like, I mean, Disneyland understood that really well. Mm-hmm. You know, you looked at Disney and and even today, you, okay, Disney Plus, well, if you look at Disney's financials on the back end, what's still doing really well? The parks. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to Disneyland, you go, you spend a bunch of money, great. You come back two years later. It's it's this enduring experience mm-hmm. that since the 1950s or whenever yeah. Disneyland was you know, started, <laughs> it people come back to it. Mm-hmm. And that's 
that it's almost like the first video game. Choose your own adventure. Do you want to go to Adventureland? Do you want to go to Frontierland? There's a course that it takes you. There's rides. There's play. Mm-hmm. I think digitally, if you can make a Disneyland and your game 50 years from now is still pulling revenue, then you're looking at building a business. You're not just looking at building these spike hit quick wins. You know, I think, and I, I think the industry in general is still, it's in the, in the heyday of free to play. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of greed and greed tends to produce irrational markets because it's greed is an irrational yep. state of mind. It's so I think there's less, less and less greed in our industry now. And I mean, there's probably some people listening that like <laughs> laugh when I said that, but you know, it's like, but the, I think there's more methodical looking at how do we actually build a, a real, a real business mm-hmm. that lasts or, you know, build something that's going to get acquired by a business that is enduring. You spend five years, three years of your life making a game. You don't just want to sell it to some company who's, you know, gonna, you want that IP to live on. Right. You want that experience to live on. So I think these are important considerations. Okay. And then, you know, you mentioned um, toxicity earlier, right? So I think when people think about gaming culture, you know, unfortunately, that is something that has persisted, right? Like from the earliest days of folks playing games together, you know, I read this like pretty interesting survey. This was from a couple of years ago. I think it was Unity that did it. I'm not sure. I've quoted it as Unity multiple times. So hopefully it was Unity. But basically, you know, the overwhelming majority of people, you know, call it like 80 to 90% of people who have played a game online have been the recipient of some sort of toxic behavior. Similarly, mm-hmm. something like you know 90% plus of people also said that they don't want to experience this behavior, right? And so there's a yep. desire for folks within the gaming culture to have the culture be less toxic. But there are also some folks mm-hmm. who you know believe that it's sort of inherent to the gaming culture. And so yeah, one, why do you think that is, especially given your background in psychology? And two, how do you think this actually changes, right? Because there's clearly a desire for folks to change this behavior, um, but it just has persisted sort of throughout time. Yeah, we could have a whole podcast on this Mm -hmm. because we're entering this new world of more and more online, more and more digital reality. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's good and bad things about anonymity. And when I put an avatar in front of me and when I remove my face from the situation, I think I forget what what comedian said this he's on Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. and he was talking about you know kids texting and he mm-hmm. said you know kids today he's like you know they'll, they'll text someone like hey you're fat <laughs> and they don't see the other kids reaction yeah and they're like "Ooh, that that felt good mm-hmm. he's like when we were kids you know if you said hey you're fat you know you see the other kids reaction you're like oh like I was just an asshole mm-hmm. um I was I was being mean or or I guess like Mike Tyson said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. I, I love Mike Tyson, but what, mm-hmm. you know, part of what he's referring to, and I think he went on to say like, everybody needs a good punch in the face. Now that's Mike Tyson's <laughs> philosophy, but there's some really interesting research on rough and tumble play amongst boys, mm-hmm. amongst young men. Mm-hmm. And when you allow them to have rough and tumble play, they actually tend to be far less aggressive as adults. Mm-hmm. So less less prison sentences, less jail sentences. Mm. All It's really interesting. And so part of what young kids do is they poke the bear. They're, they're experimenting. They're going, hey, I'm going to say this thing because they don't know. They're mm. learning. I'm going to I'm going to wrestle this other kid. I'm going to. And they, they learn. And one of the challenges with online communities is 
when they say a thing, the the whole empathy feedback loop that we have where we all know that like, you know, 80 to 90% of communication is body language mm -hmm. that gets cut off. Right. So we don't, we don't get to empathize with, we don't get to see, Ooh, I feel how you feel now that I said what I said. And mm -hmm. even you don't even need to say that was mean. You don't even need to punch me in the face. I'm not going to say that again. Cause I didn't like how that felt. Yeah. And I'm sure. So we were cutting that experience out. So that presents a really hard, hard developmental challenge mm -hmm. for young kids. So one of the things that we found in across all of the games we work with is that when remediation happens with toxic cases, mm -hmm. and I want to be clear, like a, a large, large slew of cases that are labeled as being toxic at times are actually not verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. So across all of our different games, we, me we measure not just toxic behavior because mm -hmm. we're doing social listening. So we can see like we're labeling things that are verbally abusive, that are known ver verbal abuse. We do ask some survey questions within our assessment. One is like, what are your major pain points in the game? Another is, what are your major hopes and aspirations? And here's a fascinating piece of data for you. Every single game that people have, their biggest pain point is toxicity. Mm -hmm. Their biggest hope is trolling other people. Wow. <laughs> so most of the people that are complaining about toxicity yeah. are the ones doing it too. Yeah. And so so just imagine so imagine my mom's a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Kids on a, a playground, you know. Mrs. Sheppy, like they said something about, yeah. well, what did you say to them first? Yeah. That's what's going on. That's what's really going on. And so when you when you zoom out and they're they're most of these are when you look at remediation cases, yeah. so we always advocate for remediation. Mm -hmm. Don't ban their kids. They're learning yeah. and they didn't have the feedback loop that you and I had on the playground growing up. Mm -hmm. And so they're using games as, as teachers. And what we find is like over 95% of cases, when you send an email, uh, you freeze the account and you say, Hey, we saw this case mm -hmm. of, you know, there's, if it's a MMO game, it's like a, you know, a GM or a moderator. If it's a, you know, a more, I don't know, hybrid casual game. It's maybe a message to them. Mm -hmm. And you say, Hey, this isn't accepted. You know, if there's one more case of this, we're going to have to, you know, yeah. freeze your account or something like that. 95% of the time compliance happens and toxicity goes away yeah. for that user ID. So the, the answer is remediation. Mm -hmm. Don't, when you ban these kids, they just go to another game and, you know, yeah. F that game. Yeah. And then they just go back to more of that more of that behavior. Yeah. And so when people say, oh, this is a really toxic player, we've, well, have you done proper remediation? Mm -hmm. Have you looked at your Solston data, looked at their communication style, looked at when they're low functioning, how do they communicate? Mm -hmm. We did this with Eve Online. We said uh, all, the, all the customer support people, mm -hmm. these IDs, when they came in, it shows here's who you are when you're high functioning, Here's who you are when you're low functioning. Here's how to talk to them. Their NPS score, 20 year old game went up 30 points. Like wow. that's incredible for yeah. a game that old. Mm -hmm. And the research team did follow-up research on why that was. And players actually said in these scenarios, they felt more understood. They felt heard. You know, so as a, as a clinical psychologist, when I used to practice, I dealt with adjunct youth. Mm -hmm. I dealt with kids that came into my office, sat down in a chair, you know, through some stuff, used all the swear words they could yeah. in the world at me. And I was present for them. And mm -hmm. I understood that they're projecting something that they know, the restlessness of their home life, the turbulence of the, their reality. And 
what, what I think what's interesting about young people, and this is children included, mm-hmm. they they behave in the way that they feel because they want misery loves company. They want yeah. you to feel how they feel, mm-hmm. and they don't have the words to communicate it yet. So, like when a little kid is in a grocery store and throws a temper tantrum and screaming and crying, mm-hmm. they don't feel control. Like maybe they're tired, maybe you know, they're, they haven't gotten sleep, they're, mm-hmm. they haven't gotten fed, their diaper, they don't feel in control. Mm-hmm. And what do you feel when a kid's screaming in a grocery store? Nobody feels in control. Mom doesn't feel in control. Yeah. It's like, you don't feel in control. When kids are like, in my therapy office, when they're saying all these things, they're, they feel angry. And they don't know how to say, you know, you know what, Joe, I feel pretty angry right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Well, my mom, you know, abuses alcohol and mm-hmm. she didn't take me to school, but kids don't have the words. Right, for right. That. So it comes. And so it's, it's an, you know, this is a natural developmental process. Mm-hmm. We lack the behavioral empathy part that we used to have and where we can step in is as game developers having proper remediation. So, so customer support people that are, you know, have a uh, Solston communication styles mm-hmm. can communicate to them in the way they need to be communicated to, and be able to help nurture them into being healthy young adults. And I think games are actually, I view it the other way around. We have an incredible opportunity here to help young people. If they're 35, if you've got a 35 year old that's engaging in tons of toxic behavior, that's an interesting story too. And what what I think is important as developers is there are always just like, this is why we have prisons, there are, are always going to be certain IDs or certain, certain users yeah. that remediation is just not going yeah. to work for. And in that case, banning is a great idea. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's not ideal. It's not what you want to go with. But the the challenge is my grandpa's finished and he used to say they're not all locked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in that same case, there are people that no matter how much, and I can tell you this, how much therapy they've had, yeah. that it's, it's too, it's probably too late. But in, in, 90, 95% of cases as an industry, if we actually address this and use tools like Solston, we can actually create those user IDs into valuable parts of the community. And a lot of times these kids, they're, they're energetic, they're impassioned. It's like, you know, you're, you're having a, a burrito. It's like, you might want a little, you know, cayenne, you might want a little pepper on yeah. it. And that's, I think that's one of the untold stories of all this too, is banter. Mm-hmm. which is different than abuse. Yeah. Ban- banter is a normal human. You can go across any culture in yeah. the world and there's a sense of teasing. And this is where I think what's interesting is like, we have less and less, it's called um, bounded reciprocity. It's mm-hmm. like, if I met, if I met you, Chris, and I, you know, bought you lunch and I was like, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's me going, well, I don't, you're part of my community yeah. or I'm going to see you again. I don't, Hey, I need, you got to pay 50, 50 in that. That's like a lack of bounded reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Well, we're losing bounded reciprocity as a society and we're losing object constancy. That's like, let's say if you started acting really weird right now (laughs) as a therapist, I might, I might be like, cause I've, I've talked to you before. I might be like, is everything okay? That's my risk. Cause it's, it's out of character Mm -hmm. where most people like for some reason, what's happening societally is all of a sudden they switch gears to think, oh, Chris is being a jerk. Like if someone has a concussion, they turn into an asshole. Yeah. It's like, so if the if they're normally not an asshole and they're, you should be going, I wonder if they just hit their right. head. I wonder if mm-hmm. something happened. Like we're not doing that yeah. anymore. And 
And so when you, if you look at your best friends, some of the stuff they're like, you can say to each other, mm -hmm. you have bounded reciprocity between yeah. each other. And if you took those same sentences and put them with a stranger, yeah. all of a sudden it's like toxicity. Right. So part of what we need to be doing is, is also cultivating within our audiences, more, more bounded reciprocity, mm -hmm. which means better communities, better relationships in your game. So mm -hmm. look at, look at how good relationships are in your game, which Solson can measure this stuff as well. And look, look at how boundedly reciprocal are they, which we can measure that stuff as well. And if you increase those, you also decrease the amount of toxic complaints mm -hmm. because you have better relationships. And when you have better relationships, you're able to, people are able to, like, I grew up with a brother. We're, we're best friends. Yeah. We can tease each other on a lot of things and right. it's fun. It's not, but I would never go to the, I don't know, the grocery store and have that same conversation because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a bounded reciprocal relationship with the grocery mm -hmm. store clerk and I don't have object constancy established with them yet. Mm -hmm. So there's a proactive side of toxicity too, that I think a lot of developers should be cultivating and yeah. haven't even started to think about that because you can't improve something if you can't measure it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what Solston's here to do is measure those type of things and say, hey, here's where we're at. Here's how we can improve it. I think it's that's really good additional perspective. And, you know, positively, I, I actually do believe the younger generation of gamers is actually less toxic. So, you know, it does seem like we're moving in the right direction. You know, you sort of alluded to this, yeah. right? So most people probably can sort of, you know, become less toxic through education and just frankly, like reminders that you shouldn't be as toxic, you know, but you did mention, you know, there is some small percent of folks who, you know, for whatever reason, just wants to, you know, watch the world burn, so to speak. This is more of a theoretical question, right? But as we are able to track folks across these different gaming communities, do you think there are some people that just need to be banned across games? Or do you think that's too severe of a punishment? You know, this is, this is getting into human nature mm -hmm. and hero, heroes and villains, heroes mm -hmm. and villains. And, you know, I think what's interesting about heroes and villains is they both have scars. You know, mm -hmm. if you, their origin story was this thing happened to me and yeah. it hurt. Mm -hmm. And the hero goes, I'm not going to let this happen to anybody ever again. Mm -hmm. And they go out and, you know, save people and help people who are in those sort of scenarios. And the villain goes, I want everybody to feel what I felt. And there's always like, I think sometimes why people like DC versus Marvel mm -hmm. is part of what DC does is project the moment of the villain where they might not sometimes be the villain. Like they, mm -hmm. they you see the humanness in them and where they, and then they go back to being the villain. A remediation perspective of working with that villain I think that you do need to make a concerted effort. So it's not just like, oh, let's try this once and see how it goes. Let's try it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're not doing it right. Maybe, you know, maybe we have a 22-year-old community manager who's, mm -hmm. who's you know, doing the, the support here. Like, they don't have life experience right. in terms of like... And in, in therapy, we call it helping skills. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have helping skills, don't help. If you went to the ER and someone's like, yeah, I'm not a nurse, but I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to make things worse too. So I think part of it is ensuring you have someone who has helping skills because you can actually get a lot more of these people that are like, 
we just need to permanently ban them across our ecosystem. Like I can tell you, I've worked as a therapist. I've worked with people that have um, killed people before. Mm -hmm. And I remember being a, a younger therapist going, Oh shit. Like <laughs> I'm reading the I'm reading the report and I'm like, yeah. I'm in a room with this person. Yeah. And I'm like, and they're free. They're not they're, <laughs> they just got out of like 30 years of yeah. prison. Ooh. You know, and part of it is, and some of these people do go and live on to live good lives, right? right? Helpful mm -hmm. lives. And they and it's like, whoa. Um, and that's the I guess the Nordic part of me is Norway and prisons and the and the Nordics tend to be more. Mm -hmm into remediation and i think there's a story in norway of a guy who killed his family with uh, a chainsaw mm -hmm. and they put him in a in a like locked down facility mm -hmm. but they gave him a chainsaw to chop down trees so they, they still made him <laughs> useful um and but they said you can't you can't be in society but yeah like so because one of the one of the things is when we do ostracize these people because mm -hmm. games is a huge outlet like there's research yeah. showing that like um you know young boys who play shooter games actually exhibit lower levels of aggression mm -hmm. back to the rough and tumble play example yeah. people that listen to heavy metal tend to be less aggressive mm -hmm. than people that don't like so part of games allow us to live and act out these things in safe ways and mm -hmm. my question is always like if we take games away from them what are they going to do in society mm -hmm. and i think so I think we do have a responsibility to to work through that as far as we can. And part of the, I think the reality is we can create villains. When a person gets ostracized from every single community, well, what's their take on the world? Right. Who, are, who are they going to be in the world? And I think what's important for game developers is, so here's, I think, what's interesting, back to philosophical human nature mm -hmm. stuff. If you put human beings on an island with all the food, all the resources, everything they needed, education, perfection, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I, from, I've studied humanity my whole life. Mm -hmm. We'd, we'd fuck it up. Yeah. We, we like, we love a good story. Mm -hmm. And I don't think human beings can fundamentally just handle just, you know, this, this beautiful tranquil garden yeah. of, of life, the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can handle that. I think we have this, propensity to create stories mm -hmm. and without a loki there's no there's the story isn't good yeah. and mm -hmm. so what i can say is when we look at games that have some and and you don't want like abusive behavior but mm -hmm. if you're kind of this the the, the villains the toxic like not a slightly a little toxic yeah players back to the hopes and aspirations thing players tend to uh, it, it creates a lively community it's just like in game design one of uh, the game designers we work with, he's like, Joe, sometimes better game designs is not being fair. It People will engage with things sometimes more when they aren't fair. And it's almost like back to the cayenne example, sprinkling a little, you don't want too yeah. much cayenne, mm -hmm. otherwise you're gonna you know, bite into the, the burrito <laughs> goal, no way. Yeah. But a little bit actually creates a, a liveliness of now people are good versus evil talking about it. And I think it's, what's the threshold? Where does it go from, from, and that's what we're not good at right now, mm -hmm. because there's people out there who are exhibiting basically like semi-toxic behaviors and then yeah. reporting other people. Like we have a game where I'm sure you've heard of like doxing, yeah. like people are getting yeah. doxxed and like police are showing yeah. up. Like that's, that's way over the yeah. edge, mm -hmm. you know, that's, but the, the reality is I think understanding and 
abuse is we we got into this world that we said well abuse is subjective Mm -hmm. and that's that's a really slippery slope because then somebody can come in and say you know what chris like this call was was and it's like no 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 like in, in in clinical psychology we have specific criteria that you can understand mm-hmm. well what is what is abuse and what is what is not abuse and in this sort of case i think getting better did is this person that you know is experiencing the reality within you know well what is what is a traumatic event what is a traumatic experience and what is something that can lead to things like complex ptsd mm-hmm. and and really understanding well what's just banter and and what's what so i think that's part of it but on the far end of the, the spectrum like doxing mm-hmm. things like that there are things that we had this at big fish that you do have to go to authorities with oh, like wow. we had people that you know threat threaten to kill other people yeah, yeah. or bomb threats or mm-hmm. like those types of things you that's that's not our job as developers right. to remediate remediate yeah. that's you it's the same you you up that to yeah. authority so i think what's important is as a developer what what we tend to suggest is have your list of no-gos mm-hmm. of these are these are the things that we do not remediate and that takes the subjectivity out of it yeah most like slurs hate speech yeah actually su- surprisingly this type of stuff can be remediated mm-hmm. really easily they usually saw something on tv yeah. or a music video and like you said, we do see the the younger generation is interesting because they're getting they're they're better at not doing it than the little bit mm-hmm. older generation, but they also are more likely to interpret things that uh, yeah. are not necessarily bad mm-hmm. as being so. There's the yeah. their sensitivity meter yeah. is higher. So what we want to do is increase a little bit emotional resilience mm-hmm. and get. Hey, that wasn't actually, you know, like let's let's get let's get to the middle here right, somewhere. Right. Where yeah, the the older generation is a little bit more on that on that spectrum, but I think a lot of it just comes from games as an outlet and maybe a, one more interesting fact mm-hmm. there. So, we looked across our entire database, which is millions and millions of players that we've directly psychologically assessed. Mm-hmm. And we said, what's the makeup of the gaming industry when it comes to actual personalities like this? I think what's interesting is about 20% of the gaming industry sits within the top 90th percentile globally mm-hmm. for high achievers for like mentally healthy mm-hmm. high achievers. So like this stereotype of like gamers are nerds. It's like mm-hmm. actually like, you know, I don't know, LeBron James might be playing some game right now. You know, like some yeah. of the mm-hmm. biggest achievers in life are gamers. And then I think what's interesting is when you look at the next common thing after that, it's the top level of low achievers. Uh, oh, wow. So 20% of the gaming industry is, you know, tend to have mental health issues, yeah. low achievers. And then when you slice that group out mm-hmm. that group is the group that tends to be where um toxicity yeah. comes from mm-hmm. and it's only about one percent of that group mm-hmm. that ends up in the upper range of verbally abusive yeah. language and if you look at their mental health data very poor so there's a lot of interesting stuff there but to answer the question they are not all locked up and mm-hmm. what you need to do is determine what is the threshold so to speak of Am I locking, am I doing a lockdown in my game? Is it in my, across my whole gaming ecosystem? Mm-hmm. And are, so then they're getting kicked to another ecosystem. And what I would say is different developers should have different thresholds. 
So when you think of your brand as a developer, whether you're Coca-Cola, whether you're Apple, you're, when you become a big company, when you become successful, talk to someone at Coca-Cola who's on mm -hmm. their legal side of basically mm -hmm. protecting the brand. They'll tell you that's the most important thing that they mm -hmm. have. It's, it's that brand when, and, and we know it too, from psychological research where, you know, everyone knows the taste, the double blind Pepsi yeah. challenge mm -hmm. of, but what they don't, the, the rest of the story is really cool where they actually looked at when people drank Coca-Cola and Pepsi, Pepsi provided more neurological response than mm -hmm. Coca-Cola did without the label, without when the brand was removed, mm -hmm. when they reintroduced, when they reintroduced the brand, I think this is what's so cool is they actually saw more activation in it's called the premedial part mm -hmm. of your frontal cortex, which is, has a lot to do with nostalgia, Christmas time, yeah. bears. So through their brand development. So when you drink Coke and then they actually see more neural activation when mm -hmm. the brand is combined with the soda. So the power of brand is, is important. So if you're super cell, if you're Epic, if you're EA, you have a brand that you need to cater and that brand should mean something. What are the brand values you have? Mm -hmm. What does that brand mean? What do players feel when they see that Supercell logo, when they see that EA logo? And then you need to decide what your thresholds are. And there are certain game companies out there who maybe can have lower thresholds because mm -hmm. that's a part, a part of their brand is being the bad boy or being the, I mean, if, if you make Grand Theft Auto and you're, you know, Rockstar Games, your threshold can be a lot lower right. than, than other brands. Yeah. So you know, what, what is your threshold within your ecosystem and tying that to your brand values is going to be really powerful and important. And just because a person's, if your toxicity threshold is lower, just because that might be yours. Well, there's probably somewhere else in the ecosystem where they're going to be able to land and do just fine. They can go play Grand Theft Auto. There are, there's over yeah. 800,000 games. Right. So there's a place for them to go. What I just have to say is, is do right by your brand. And if you haven't defined those things for your brand, that's something we we help with too. Because what you want to look at is what are the values of all my employees? What are, you know, what are their top values? Mm -hmm. What are their lowest? Consolidate that. And then that's going to give you a really nice roadmap for actually dealing with problems like quote unquote toxicity yeah. and taking away the subjective nature Okay, cool. And so I wanted to give folks an opportunity to get to know you a little bit as well. So one is just, are you a gamer today? If yes, what are some of the games that you're playing today? And then just throughout sort of your life, you know, what are some of the games that maybe you played that were more impactful to you or that just really, really resonated with you? I think that all human beings are gamers. How we learn as a species is through play. Mm -hmm. Like, and if you don't play when you're a kid, you're going to have learning issues. Mm -hmm. So, and games are just a digital form of play. So if somebody's not a gamer yet, I'm like, they just haven't found their place of play yet. And mm -hmm. so for me, it kind of, I'm a CEO of a, of a, you know, pretty quickly growing startup at the yeah. moment, which means, well, I need, if, if I'm fitting that into my schedule, it needs to be a plan sort of thing. And so I tend to like box it around the, the games that I know that, I'm really gonna love. And so right now that's Tears of the Kingdom. Mm -hmm. When with when I was uh, applying at Big Fish Games, one of the game designers there asked me, because this is my first job in gaming. And a lot of people were like, ooh, he doesn't come from gaming. Mm -hmm. Like, and I remember Chris, um, great guy. Uh, he, he's like, what was your favorite game? 
growing up. Mm-hmm. I was specifically growing up. Yeah. And I was like, it was definitely Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Like just memories of playing that with my brother. And mm-hmm. so like the whole Zelda storyline and actually like my girlfriend never played a game before in her mm-hmm. life. This was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I turned on Breath of the Wild. Yeah. I gave her the controllers and I came back two hours later and I'm like, <laughs> and there you are. And it's yeah. just like, it's amazing. Yeah. This is so good. And I, I think like part of, you know, for me, if you think of like psychological resonance Mm -hmm. for me, when it comes to Zelda, a lot of my personality traits, like I'm super high on openness. So you look at, I I highly value nature. Like Mm -hmm. I'm off the charts. Like Frank Lloyd Wright said something like, I think nature should be spelled with a capital N Mm -hmm. I'm right there with Frank on on that. So you look at Zelda, it fits a lot of my personality. It fits a lot of my values. Mm -hmm. You get these expansive vistas. That's just like, boom your imagination the the expanse the reality of that 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 really caters to me someone else might feel vertigo during Mm -hmm. that you know so that's really important for me i mean i gamed a lot growing Mm -hmm. up i got like a i probably gamed too much like i think playstation (laughs) sent me like like one of their influencer packages like in the early 2000s i played a lot of counter-strike i played a ton of ultima online Mm -hmm. i actually ran a server in my basement for a little <laughs> bit there. So I don't know. I, I still think it's an incredible experience, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers like infantry online. That was another game yeah. I used to play quite a bit, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that was, you know, and just grew up with Nintendo systems mm-hmm. and that was a, a big part of, of growing up for me. But today what I typically do is our customers and we're at a point now where I don't know all of our customers, which I, when we started this five years ago, I was like, that's going to be a weird moment when mm-hmm. I don't know everyone we work mm-hmm. with and we're, we're past that now. But I try to play all of our customers' games mm. at least for 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't want to lose touch from, I know that's, right. as we keep growing, it's like, Joe, you got thousands <laughs> yeah, of a lot of games. Gonna, you know, no. And, but I, I do, it's important, like yeah. um, we're working with the mainframe, for mm-hmm. example, and PAX Day, I don't know if you've seen the, if, if anyone hasn't seen the, preview for that oh my god is it beautiful mm-hmm. like the world that they're building is incredible and you know they're hey we're doing a play test like i jumped in on one of them mm-hmm. you know it's like i wanted to experience and see and you know kind of almost nerd out on mm-hmm. well what what is this world coming to be and what is it looking like and when when i talk to sulka and and when we're in finland i want to be able to have a conversation with them about how what they're doing and what we're doing really are going to result in, you know, seeing where's the world today, where's the audience world today. And I think this is every job of every entrepreneur. Your job is under to understand where is the world going and game developer, game mm-hmm. designer too, and meeting them there. You're creating, you're not creating a, a game for all of the games. This is, I think, one of the biggest mistakes of mm-hmm. um, game developers is they look at what was. Yeah. They say, oh, that worked well. I'm going to use that. Like, with Rich and Game of War, he was like, we literally had people copying features of ours that we knew were broken. Yeah. And we knew were disengaging because mm-hmm. they're looking to the past right. and they cre- basically Game of War created a different step. Yeah. And so I think really talented game designers, which I would put everybody who made Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild, it's like, they're not going, you know, what did, what did this game do? They're going, what is Zelda? What, what is Zelda? What are we building towards? Mm-hmm. Where are people going? What do people need today? And they're building this experience and they just met, like, for me, it's kind of like my expectations were pretty high after yeah. Breath of the Wild. And it's like, how are you going to 
step that up how are you gonna continue it's hard to do and they did it Mm -hmm. and they did it by not looking to what was you know what are the other games doing they said well who's our audience Mm -hmm. what are their experiential expectations and then how do we you know delight is when your expectations have been positively negated Mm -hmm. like they've been positively uh, you know slashed like i was expecting this and i got this that's i think what what tears the kingdom did so you know i'd say that one of our the groups that we engaged with pretty early on and started talking with because even to pivot the conversation to to mobile when we talk to customers and i I play their games too like even if they weren't a customer yet one, one of the ones i really liked on mobile was frag and it's just it's it's a fun like if i'm i can play it offline if I need to play something for for five minutes, it's kind mm-hmm. of like a fun arena shooter sort of sort of experience. But mm-hmm. I think that's just it is the data that we see when someone like I had a woman on a I fly a lot because mm-hmm. of because of Solston. But she asked me, she said, "What son? What game should my my son play?" And her son was a a teenager, mm-hmm. and I said, "The one he enjoys the most." Yeah, um, because what we actually see is the game that people tend to engage with and enjoy the most is the one that also reaps the most health benefits mm-hmm. for the person. I think the problem is, is there's like 800,000 games out there. What what do I play? What's one thing Solston's hoping to do? We have a, a player app in development where you'd be able to go in with your psych profile, your anonymous profile. And based on all our data, we'd be able to just you know say, hey, here's here's a list of, of games based on you that are likely to really resonate with you. And I think that what's cool about that is it should expose a lot of these like, you know, random games that mm-hmm. that a lot of people haven't connected with. Like my brother and I, we love like we'll play it like maybe once every two months. But we love this game called Ages of Mages. Super random. It's a couch co-op. Like we played a lot of Gauntlet Legends. Yeah, kids. yeah, I, I loved um, that game actually when I was younger. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of vibe. And it's like made by like a couple people in China, I think. Yeah. And it's on the Nintendo Switch. And Nick and I like, yeah, we we love playing that game. So mm-hmm. and I'm like, how did we find that game? Yeah, it was it was buried under things. But mm-hmm. I think it started with like going on Google and typing like games similar to Gauntlet Legends mm-hmm. and somewhere in the depths of something that was one of them. And we tried yeah. it like, this is actually super fun. <laughs> and so, yeah, those are like, those are some of the things I, I do today, but yeah, generally like one of, one of our first customers was Dragon Vale, you know, played mm-hmm. that game for a while. And I think that's, what's powerful too, is whether it's like on the mobile side, like games like Toy Blast or Dragon Vale, mm-hmm. you can actually go, Hey, even though this art style is not me necessarily or vibe, it's yeah. like, there's actually a lot of really good game mechanics here. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why these games scaled and grew. Mm-hmm. And I'll see people on the airplane, you know, playing Candy Crush. And I'm like, you're like a 60 year old dude, you know, <laughs> yeah. business corporate, you know, yeah. guy. And it's, you know, games and play, you know, what it's almost like what fits your set and setting, like what kind of meal mm-hmm. do you want to eat? I think that music, music is food for your nervous system. I I think a lot of human beings don't realize that. Like, why do we all listen to music? It's like, well, we have, we have food for our metabolic system and our biology. And, but like, what's, what is music? What's the purpose of it? And I think it helps us regulate our nervous system. And similarly, I think games, whether it's our nervous system, whether it's our, our way of like dreaming, using kinesthetic metaphor and, and kind of, understanding our life. I think we do, because that's what adventure therapy is yeah. a lot about is how do we contextualize our reality 
through play. And so I think the best games for people to play are the ones that best contextualize their reality Mm -hmm. at the time. And I do think to kind of pull back to like teenage boys, I think that's why a lot of teenage boys play shooter games. You know, if you go to any culture in the world and you look at teenage boys or like tween boys, like they have a sense of rough and tumble Mm -hmm. play. They'll turn sticks into guns, sticks into swords. Like it's kind of, they're, they're acting out this need and then they get older and they're like, I'm good. Like Mm -hmm. I I did that. I think what's dangerous is if they don't have that, that moment. So like, yeah, I used to play a lot of counter-strike when I was, I don't know, 17, Mm -hmm. 18. I don't, I don't play it anymore. And it's still like, I probably have fun, but it, like, I loved it back then. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, you have different life stages and just like music, you still have your classics that you'll always go back to that album and you'll pull up that album and you're like, wow, I still love that band. But you probably don't listen to all the same bands that you listened to when you were a teenager. At least I don't know. You know, it's like, you look at your teenager, like, wow, that was some embarrassing music (laughs) that I listened to back then. I used to say in therapy, like, hey, if you're not embarrassed of who you were, like five years ago, you probably should be because <laughs> that means you didn't change. And that's our that's our job is to evolve, to grow. And I think, and I, this is maybe my philosophical take on on games, but I think mm-hmm. games are, you know, we're so busy, we're driving. They're an accessible version of play. And what's really cool, there's a study that looked at gaming over time. As you get older, your crystalline memory, mm-hmm. your, it goes up. Your your retention, your ability to do like recall on things but your fluid memory tends to go down. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of the reason why like teenagers will go to their parents like, oh, like mom and dad, you're so dumb, you know, cause their fluid memory, they're just like yeah. so sharp. Mm-hmm. Well, what we actually saw in this, in this study was that when people gamed in any game, fluid memory started going up again. Mm-hmm. So when people like, you know, if I'm past 30, what should I be doing? If I want to improve memory and recall I'm mm-hmm. like you should be gaming so i think you know and, and what should i play whatever you enjoy the most so find find that for me it's tears of the kingdom right now but i think that's like a bit of a cheat answer because it's just <laughs> so good i'm sure there's people that think it's a terrible game but i don't i have not found any of those people if they're out there but maybe they do exist <laughs> but yeah, just wanted to sort of shift gears and and to to wrap this conversation you know it's been a great conversation and I definitely don't want to wrap it yet, but just for the sake of time, you know, you have accomplished quite a bit, but I'm sure there's a lot more that you want to accomplish going forward. So I'm actually going to make this a two-parter, right? Because in a past conversation we had, you said you want to spread a message of positivity and optimism in the gaming industry. So part one is going to be, you know, what is that message and why are you optimistic? And then part two is just as you look forward in your, in your career, you know, what do you ultimately want your impact to be? What do you want to achieve and how do you want Solston to ultimately influence the world for the better? Yeah, I I think that it's really hard to create a future that you can't imagine. So part of our, our goal and, you know, the, a lot of kids are growing up today and they're like, all the jobs have been done. All the things have, mm-hmm. have happened. And like, who, who am I? What am I going to do? And well, how about you be human? How about you play? I think that if you if you look at a lot of kids today that lack a sense of purpose or lack a sense of meaning, one of that one of the things that that comes from is not playing enough. I used to say when in my practice that a lot of mental health issues come from uh, sins against nature, mm-hmm. and what that means is like if you're 
if you're a kid and you go out and you play in the forest, um, one of my favorite therapy books is um, called like Last Child in the Woods. I had to read it as um, I was a part of school. And you're creating your own narrative when you go in the forest. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, Andrew and I, we climbed this tree and we fell off this tree. And then this like, this animal came out. And you like listen to kids tell you these stories. And you're like, whoa, the interplay of nature and imagination is really powerful. And if I look at where we're at today, where, you know, urbanization is increasing and, you know, how do we get out? How do we experience these sort of, these driving narratives. And this is part of where I believe in gaming so much because it's almost like you can enter a world like Breath of the Wild Mm -hmm. or Tears of the Kingdom and you can create narratives. Like you remember, you might finish playing that game that day and you remember something about it and Mm -hmm. you feel something. And so I think what it's about is a lot of kids, I think, are challenged this, these days with different identity narratives. Who am I? I mean, all teenagers are challenged with that. Let's be let's be mm-hmm. honest. Like you're asking these big questions, and the answer is, don't go out and play. And so that's part of why I'm so positive on, and and looking forward to the worlds that we're going to create in this industry. And I think there's going to be more kids growing up who. For me, it was Ultima Online. It was mm-hmm. this whole world and this its own culture and this own reality. And same with, yeah, like Zelda and, and Ocarina of Time for me when I was younger. And you're like, wow, like this cool forest and, you know, all these little guys and this, this reality that mm-hmm. got built there. Well, if we can allow more young people to imagine bigger, because that's what AI can't do. It can do what we have today. Yeah. I think what, what narrative is switching, like there's these writer strikes yeah. and things like that. It's like, you know what it's switching to? It's actually giving human beings what we're better at. Human beings are amazing at asking questions. Mm-hmm. You look at like little kids, like, hey mom, like, why is the sky blue? Mm-hmm. Why is the, you know, and you're like, um, I actually don't know. <laughs> then you look it up and you're like, oh, it's actually more on the purple spectrum and because mm-hmm. of frequency and how our eye, eyes perceive things. And I think, you know, if you get into a world where you're able to spark questions and bring imagination to to the table, we're going to start to create, I think this next generation, because of what we've created in the gaming industry, they're going to imagine things beyond our world because they're going to be playing with AI, asking way better questions than we're asking because they're going to be using it. So they're going to learn how to ask really cool questions because they're going to have to go beyond the AI. So they're going to learn how to use it to their advantage, like things like ChatGPT. And they're going to ask questions and create realities that we're going to enter. And I like, um, you know, I imagine Nick Swartzen is one of my favorite comedians. Mm -hmm. He has this joke, like, you know, uh, I have this friend who's like this negative movie goer. He's like, we went to see the new Transformers. Mm -hmm. He's like, yep, saw it, sucked. (laughs) It sucked. And he's like, imagine like it's 1920 and you put Transformers yeah. on. It's like people's, their heads are exploding. Yeah. They're screaming, they're running out. And I think part of what it means to be human is mm-hmm. to increase our awareness and increase our depth of experience. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a deeper layer of experience that is out there for all of us. And, and the more we build and create, and I think the gaming industry has always pushed the boundaries of creativity, whether it's 
Jurassic Park, you know, and seeing, hey, what's this? There's you can do 3D modeling of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Let's put that in a movie. And we all remember when we first saw Jurassic Park because it was like, whoa, you know, this is we went from a whole world of movies to that. Yeah. And the first Avatar was a leap. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things came from the evolution of gaming and what we did digitally. And I think we can keep pushing these boundaries. And I hope that, you know, if you look at, uh, there's a, a book I like written by a guy named James Kunstler. It's called The Geography of Nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, about how America was sort of built in a way where whether you're in LA uh, or I'm in mm-hmm. Minneapolis right now, you can fly in and there's the McDonald's, there's the cross-section streets, mm-hmm. there's Martin Luther King Boulevard, you're like always in sort of the same place, but in reality, you're in very different cultures, mm-hmm. whether when you're in LA and, and Minneapolis, mm-hmm. there's some similarities, but some, but a lot of big differences. And all the cities that we built in America were really built around cars and efficiency. And the problem with efficiency is efficiency is not human. Mm-hmm. Efficiency is boring. It's if I told you the story of the Lord of the Rings and I said, yeah, um, I'm going to tell you the most efficient version of this possible. Yeah. The world's going to end. There's this little hobbit. They give him a ring. He throws it in a volcano. He destroys it and he saves the world. No one, <laughs> no one's going to want to experience that. Mm-hmm. No one's going to want to watch that. That's not pulling me into deeper layers of experience. So how are we creating, a, how are we learning from how we messed up with the digital world? And how do we think about, or at the physical world, sorry. Mm-hmm. And how do we take the step forward and do right? by the digital world. And I think gaming can set the way there because everything we do digitally, if there's an experiential component, if there's a sense of play, what we're doing is we're making it more human. Mm -hmm. And because of the growth of games and because like there's a hundred million more people playing games every year right now. So it's like, it's an incredible amount of people that are, Mm -hmm. and these are net new people. These are, and this is why you need to pay attention to audiences Mm -hmm. because we, like we had a game that they're competitors of each other. Mm -hmm. And the guy goes, oh, we know all about that game. We did a bunch of consumer insight research. We we really understand those players. And I said, tell me what you know about them. Mm -hmm. He started telling me some things and we happened to, I said, we work with that game. They're one of our clients. And and we've literally measured their whole whole entire Mm -hmm. audience. And I'm like, everything you're saying is not true. And he goes, what? I, let me guess. You surveyed the players yeah. in your ecosystem that said that they play that game. He goes, yeah. I'm like, did you know that 95% of people playing that game have never played a game before? So you're wow. measuring the 5% and 100 million new people yeah. every year. And I think that's where, to me, you know, moving into more play, more depth of experience, we're going to get to see games and experiences that I think will then start to, I hope, is they Mm -hmm. start to translate to reality. We can see in different games how different groups and societies are able to thrive. And then how do these young kids who are going to become civil engineers, they're going to become architects, and they're going to have played Tears of the Kingdom, Mm -hmm. and they're going to experience these really cool realities and I hope when you and I are like, you know, 90 mm-hmm. sitting on the porch and we're like, whoa, this is a cool world to, to go into. And, and, you know, we might've influenced a little bit of that because we helped them imagine what could be, and we did it through, through games. So that's why I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. And so I think that's tied to our, our, our impact. My, my like personal goal and a lot of why people like, Hey, how did you come up with the idea mm-hmm. for Solston? I said, I didn't. I pursued something. I didn't like sit down and like brainstorm ideas that mm-hmm. people would buy. I said, 
what's a fundamental human problem? What's a fundamental thing we need to fix? And I started with climate change. Uh, my last company was uh, Action Sport, a sustainable action sport brand. Mm -hmm. We upcycled highway billboard vinyl and things like that. And I've always been really passionate about climate environment because I you you see what nature gives to people. Back to my um, therapist, sins against nature mm -hmm. sort of thing. Like, you know, get out and spend time in nature. Like if you could, mental health, it's like, yeah, uh, spend 30 minutes in nature a day, do that for two weeks. Mm -hmm. There's your prescription. Come back to me if it's not better. And it's going to get better if you do that. But for me, I started there and I really kind of went, well, because climate change is, um, it's not an earth problem. It's a human problem. Mm -hmm. It's about, is earth actually livable? And, and people are experiencing it this, this summer. We're in Minnesota. We had the worst air quality day yeah. in the history of Minneapolis the other day. Canada's burning down yeah. forest fires. And there's a lot of complex reasons for why this mm -hmm. happens. And some of it's, 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 it's not just humans. There's a lot of complexity here, but what climate change should really be called is like human, human regenerative, like sustainable environmental solutions. It mm -hmm. should be like, how are we making earth more and more habitable for, for our species so we mm -hmm. can thrive. And it's kind of like, if we screw up this climate change thing, we don't, we maybe not don't get to solve other problems because mm -hmm. it's not livable. And if yeah. it's not not livable all the other things go out the window yeah. so it's kind of like looking at well what are ground zero things and what i came to the conclusion of early on was like climate change is ultimately an awareness issue and an imagination issue mm -hmm. so by awareness what i mean is like if you're aware that this is an issue you can solve it like in the 70s we are putting holes in the ozone with freon mm -hmm. and then we became aware of it <laughs> we, we fixed it we solved yeah. it it's done and well, what if 2% more of kids growing up today were engineers, mm -hmm. climate scientists? If we increase human awareness by, let's just say 1% or half of a percent, meaning people are more perceptive of each other. Like I just said something to you, Chris, that you didn't appreciate, but because I'm half a percent more aware, I actually realized it. Mm -hmm. And I, I can change my behavior to you because of that. Or I said something you really appreciated. And I was aware of that. And I can double down on that and create a more engaging relationship with you in the future, in the future. Or I can look around me outside and there, uh, Minnesota, when that air quality day happened, I saw like a bunch of older people just running, uh, going on jogs, mm -hmm. walking outside. Like I used to live in Salt Lake City in Utah. And I knew that like heart attack events go way up when we'd have bad air quality because mm -hmm. of inversions these people were not aware of that yeah. and therefore negative consequences so how do we improve awareness so one of the best ways to improve awareness is play mm -hmm. so when you play when you game like i would data on this i haven't had our team run the data but we could i'd, I'd put a lot of money that people that grow up playing games versus people that don't are more aware of their yeah. environment and surroundings because you have you have to be one of our goals is understanding measuring that and how do we elevate that on incremental levels at, at scale. Because if you have a more aware world, you have a world that's making better decisions for themselves and for the people around them and for the planet that they're on. And, you know, what if, you know, going back to what if 1% of people, when they got cut off on the car, oh, you know, on the highway mm -hmm. said, oh, I bet they're in a hurry. Well, that's you know one out of you know, 100 and you have 99 people that didn't, but one did. And, but you 
multiply that across, you know, 4 billion mm-hmm. people that are, you know, using tech and things. There's obviously 4 billion people on earth that aren't doing the technology mm-hmm. thing. And that's, I think that's an important thing for us to be aware of. But if you create a, a planet that has 4 billion people that are 1% more aware, like what would that do for human interaction? So really a lot of this is how do I scale myself as a psychologist? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is. It's what are the cognitive things that I am doing that are mismatched with the reality that I'm trying to create. And the problem with the brain is the brain cannot observe itself. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, yeah, I got this. I'm good. Well, your brain can't see what it's doing. That's not helping you. And that's why you need an honest friend. Like if you don't have a therapist, you at least have a friend who can tell you like, you're being an idiot Yeah. and you don't get mad at them. You're like, they know me. Why am I being an idiot? Like, and you're going to, you're going to become a better person. You're going to live a better life. So like, we all need a good, at least one good, honest friend. Mm -hmm. So one of our goals are like our macro goal is, is creating more regenerative digital systems. So that means any game that's built, any digital product that's built, it's going to leave humans walking away from that product with getting more biopsychosocial benefit. One facet of psychological benefit is awareness. It could also be things like emotional resilience. So basically how are our digital products helping us be the best version of ourselves? I'll end this with a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. The guy's amazing. He was asked what his biggest fear is in life. And, you know, it's like, is it bees? Is it, mm-hmm. And he said, he said a very like physicist answer, <laughs> which was my biggest fear is if I had seen all the versions my, of myself, in all of the other realities mm-hmm. that are out there. And I got to see the Neil that was a little bit more aware, a little bit kinder, a little bit more persistent, a little bit more productive. Like what would their lives have been like? And I, all of a sudden I see a Neil that's, you know, got this, and this is, I'm paraphrasing what yeah. I said, but you know, their, their, their family life is that much better or mm-hmm. their relationships are that much better. And, you know, cause it, it would be an existential crisis for him mm-hmm. effectively is what he was saying is because he would see all that. And, you know, I think our, our great grandparents, they did the best they could with the tools that they had mm-hmm. at the time. Like they didn't have the inter- internet, they didn't have, you know, a large group of people to like help with, you know, being this mirror for them and awareness. And I think we have more tools than ever before to help with these things, but like all technology, it's a double-edged sword. And I do, you know, there is a world that's out there where Aldous Huxley said, one of the possible outcomes of technology is a human brain in a box. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a point now where we get to choose. Do we want to build that? Or do we want to build the other direction? Mm-hmm. And Solston is here to help us build towards a future where technology is in service of humankind And not where human beings are in service Mm -hmm. to technology. And part of that is we got to get to know each other because all symbiotic relationships in nature are two species getting to know each other and then working together. And technology is kind of like a species. So the the optimal outcome of Solston is we wake up in, in 10 years from now and you're using your device or not using your device because the best interface is no interface. And you're living, you're like, wow, this year was the best year of my life. And every single piece of technology and digital experience that I engaged with was lifting me up towards 
who I need to be and who I need to become and the best version of myself. And it's this interplay between the ecosystem, between players, between experiencers and game companies and us. And we're just like, we're creating beautiful technology. The world's more beautiful. It's more aesthetic. It's more immersive. It helps nurture relationships. And so, you know, I, I hope that, you know, Solston, if even we play a small part in that, we have a really big vision. We have a really ambitious goal. And, you know, for now where we're at today, we, we really just love helping game companies hit their metrics. You know, <laughs> hey, we want to improve day, day seven retention. We're like, we got you. Yeah. And what we what we love about that to like bring it back down to earth mm-hmm. is like we just went through this with, um yeah, one of it's one of the biggest mobile games out there. I yeah. can't say the name, but, mm-hmm. but like it's been around like we want to improve day seven retention. And I'm like, let's go. And then people are like, hey, Joe, but don't we want to do this like regenerative technology thing and like help? Yeah, but it's like you're if you go to the ER and your doctor comes in and says, you know, you're you're like sitting there, you're you're bleeding, you're in a bad bad moment. They're like, mm-hmm. I really want to talk to be you about your diet and your highest potential in life. You're like, can you please just stitch me up? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's most games where we're at is you know we're here to help support with the baseline of reality that you're in, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like your own little Maslow's hierarchy of needs is first let's let's get all the basics done like eve online 20 year old game they're like we can't get any more people through our first time user mm-hmm. experience we've tried everything yeah we're like cool let's check it out 20 percent more people were going through their first time user experience after solson implemented we're like people who had really high altruism were not making it through so hey let's give those user ids more ways to help each other cool that did that and you go from brick by brick, and then all of a sudden, kind of like when you achieve all your baselines, then you start thinking about community. Oh, long-term, we need to make our community healthier. We need to make it less toxic. Cool, now we're already getting to a place where we're we're helping people become a little bit more aware of each other. Mm-hmm. We're having better conversations. Oh, oh, we did that. We created this really awesome community. Okay, what's after that? Well, now that we created this really awesome community, let's actually look at our players' health scores because we know that, and and this is just, you don't have to play games to know this. When you've had good sleep, when you've had, when you've went to the gym, like you treat the people around you better. Like you, there's a lot, tons of research showing that people are more financially successful, more friendly, more altruistic when they're well-slept and healthy and you name it. So it's like, okay, let's look at what are the things that are impacting our players, you know, emotional resilience in a positive way. And let's double down on some of those experiences. Let's, let's build that. No games are at this point, by the way. So mm-hmm. we're still at the baseline of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But what we know at Solston, we do get the questions though from, we have game companies we work with that are like, we want to get there. We want to be the first company that creates an ecosystem that players can go into. And they're like, this feels great. And we do not know why. This feels like the first time I went to Disneyland. This mm-hmm. feels like the first time I went to this amazing spa in a mountain city or something like that. And we've all had those experiences. Like a sunset is the easiest one to relate to. You live in uh, Santa Monica. It's yeah. like that sunset. <laughs> I said this in a, in a talk the other day. I'm like, you can go those California sunsets. Like people don't even, they won't even care about nature. Mm-hmm. You get a really good one and people just stop on the pier mm-hmm. and everyone just looks. It's like, this is really cool. So how do we create those experiences like that and help nurture people from, because if you don't have a game that's making money and that is engaging people, you don't have a environment where you can 
nurture a great community yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think for us, it's it's really right now helping us, you know, helping companies focus on their baselines on on their Maslow hierarchy of mm-hmm. needs, you know, um, safety needs, bio, like biological needs. We need to make revenue so we can employ developers so we can continue to build this experience well. So like, let's start there. Then what's next? Then what's next? And our, our goal is that as Solston continues to grow and proliferate throughout the gaming industry, that we're in conjunction with that, moving these experiences into what they could be. We're in Florence and it was architected around human beings. And it's just this beautiful city and the food, the smells, the, the water, everything that's there. It's like, well, we can create these places that people just want to show up to over and over again because they're nice places to be. They're amazing communities to be in. And we start to you know double down on some of those things that create long-term businesses and basically elevating, advancing our whole digital reality and digital experience. And the the end goal for me would be, you know, when when I'm 90 years old and I'm somewhere on a mountain skiing and I'm looking at New York City and how it's being re-engineered around humans and around experience and knowing that Solston might have had something to do with that. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it's at. You can't create a world that you can't imagine. Awesome. I think this is a great conversation. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for yeah. taking the time. I think there's a lot for folks to learn from this and also just some positive positive messages and good vibes. So thanks for joining cool. me. Thanks, Chris. That was awesome.